Welcome back to Art Smack. I'm your host, Matt Capasso, and I'm here with... Emily May Smith. Whoa, you're not Jerry Gagosian. Huh? I'm not? <laughs> Guys, Emily's joining this week as a co-host. I can't thank her enough. Don't worry, Jerry will be back soon. She's just traveling a little bit. So, Emily, how's it going? How's uh, life? It's going great. Um, yeah, I'm super happy to do this, and I don't know, just well, think it's going to be fun. I'm thrilled to have you, you know... I'm a huge fan, uh, and so is Jerry, uh, and we're so thankful that you came on. So Emily and I are going to host this week's show. We'll do our patented game of the week, which I hope you're excited about. I'm totally excited, and I'm not prepped, which is cool, because it's a surprise. <laughs> I like to keep them on their toes. Emily and I will be circling back with an update on the recent climate change protests. We'll take a look at the legacy of old masters. We'll touch on Gerhard Richter's big, big gallery move, and we'll wrap up with a discussion around the potential recession, and how it might change painting forever. All right, here we go. Welcome back to Art Smack. All right, Emily, let's play a game. What do you say? Okay, let's do it. So as the audience knows, Matt comes up with cookie games of the week all the time. <laughs> I don't know how you come up with this, honestly. I, I spent an exorbitant amount of time brainstorming. <laughs> so this game is called Overrated, Underrated, or Properly Rated. Okay. Okay, so I'm going to read a <laughs> list of artists art movements to Emily, and she's going to give your snap gut reaction. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Whether they, that the thing that I mentioned is overrated, meaning they get maybe too much love, recognition, emulation, based on the quality of it. Okay. Underrated, meaning they don't get enough respect or they're mm -hmm. due. And properly rated means they get exactly the amount of love and adoration that they deserve. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, and, and hot takes are hard for me. Hot, I'll try. Hot takes are coming. So let's start off with Vermeer. Oh, uh, I'm going to say overrated. Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. I, I have to say on behalf- Do we get to say why or no? Yeah, of okay. course. <laughs> Do you want to? Okay, sure. Um, Vermeer is great. Uh -huh. I mean, so great. They're so great. He is one of many, many, many artists who were all working at the same time mm -hmm. and doing extremely similar work. So there's- 20 other Vermeers out so there. So he was the one who elevated above, but you're saying that there's... So this... like the, the the myth and aura of the Vermeer was really created by, I think, art dealers. Really? And yeah, like the marketplace. Uh -huh. You know, there's Samuel van Hoogstraten, there's <laughs> Gerard Doe, there's like a ton of other um, painters who were all working at that time, making extremely similar work. Yeah. So Vermeer's awesome. Like they're so beautiful. Uh -huh. They're amazing. There are also lots of other painters who also made equally beautiful. You totally heard it here, folks. Painting. Emily May Smith hates Vermeer. <laughs> she thinks he's, quote, trash. Totally okay. overrated. <laughs> Renee Magritte. Um, properly rated. Properly rated. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. I think he is adored, loved, respected, emulated in the right amount. Mm -hmm. I think loved by the masses. Yeah, uh, we were just talking about yeah, this. Yeah, but also totally properly respected in the intellectual community mm -hmm. for those who do the deep dive and like deeply know the work. Yep, Roy Lichtenstein. Um, properly Pop rated. Properly rated. Yeah. 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 Market loves him. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of interest for his big stuff. I mean, 
Yeah, you so know, it's very I, expensive. Interesting. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I mean, I think I might even err on underrated. Mm-hmm. I really mm, because it's interesting how I do not think there is enough conversation about that work like at this moment mm-hmm. right now. Yeah, I'm gonna move to underrated. You're gonna move to underrated. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. I think the work is is also intellectual in a way that mm-hmm. isn't really widely discussed in in the kind of everyday chatter about the artwork. When we I was going through this list and, and Jerry had input guys. She was she was present during this. She wanted me to give a shout out to Tom Wesselman. Oh yeah. Who's her favorite pop? I mean, she she's an Andy fan for yeah. life, but for her Wesselman, she was like, I kinda like Wesselman more than Lichtenstein. I but he did more interesting stuff. And I was like, eh, I can't argue against that. I mean, to each his own. I love Wesselman too. Yeah. I'm gonna say underrated also. Underrated. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I I It seems like Andy gets the, you know, yeah. a lot of the love from that space, but there are some really great pop artists. Totally. In that, in that totally. OG era. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think like a lot of the, you know, the ideas in pop art are somewhat lost to the ether of time. How about Dali? Ooh. Um <laughs> God. Okay. I like that reaction. Ooh, yeah. Properly rated. Okay. I think. I think. So my uncle, who I guess you would say is a Sunday painter, but takes it really seriously and and loves it. He told me that Dali was one of the best painters that he's ever seen. This is his take. Just pure technical painter. That's why I'm going to say properly rated. Properly rated. Because, because you know, a little bit, my spirit wants to go, ah, overrated. uh." But when you really look at a Dali, like you look at the paint... Some of that stuff, I don't know how he did it. Like, it is, some of it is undeconstructible. So, I agree. I think because of his larger-than-life personality, he was, like, on TV shows and stuff in the U.S. and London. I think people forget, like, what a goddamn painter he was, just purely. Yeah, I think, like, the technical prowess is pretty undeniable. This was from Jerry. She really wanted to get your take on this. Monk. Ooh. She she has thoughts. Oh my god! She wanted to get yours. Okay. So for those who don't know, Monk, the Scream, probably the most famous painting, one of the most iconic painting yeah. images, at least in the world. I'm gonna say overrated. That was her choice too. Yeah. Monk died very young. Very. There is not very much work, and it, for for someone who you know sensibly could have lived mm-hmm. like a lot longer so he has his own museum now oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean he's iconic in norway and yeah besides it, right norway right? i think yeah. so yeah. Yeah, yeah um i know i haven't been there so i've seen some of his work i've seen a lot of iterations of scream right, right? like from pastel versions to those are all over the place right. i've seen those in museums but jerry wanted me to tell you yeah she also thinks he's a little right and she- also you know you think about like the kind of turmoil of life at that time oh, my poor dog is crying you can oh, hear her zoe you don't like monk i can tell okay. <laughs> she's like overrated <laughs> this is an entire movement we couldn't pick which artist we wanted to to hit you with but so the pre-raphaelite brotherhood oh yeah um underrated underrated uh-huh. wow we didn't think you'd go in that direction okay <laughs> let me let me hear why generally what do you think um Rosetti, for those that don't know what we're talking I, about i'm I just I love these works. Um, you I love think redheads. They're, they're yes, <laughs> sure. <laughs> there's uh, 
a lot of them are super fucked up. Yeah. I, I love them because they're really complicated and they, they to me, do represent a difficult period mm -hmm. in time. What happened was sort of as we turn towards the 20th century and then we, you know, turn towards the avant-garde mm -hmm. and we turned our backs on what was becoming art that was popular, mm -hmm. we ended up kind of sweeping a lot of that stuff under the rug and sort of forgetting about it. And, you know, I'm kind of interested in like digging that stuff back up and saying, what did we lose here? I think we forgot something. I think there's roots of a lot of things people are painting and doing today, especially in figuration, like yeah. in that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Underrated. Yeah. Mannerism. Mannerism. Huh. I'll just say, when I first learned about it, yeah. the art history textbooks really told the story of mannerism in a disparaging way. Yeah. Like it was this ugly child of the Renaissance and kind of a blip in between. I feel Baroque like that's and... what I kind of was taught to. Yeah. And so I'm going to lean underrated because I feel like there's a connection. Mm -hmm. I don't, it's weird, weird, Pre-Raphaelite mannerism. The, They're I, both like, Pre-Raphaelite's kind of this fucked up, like, uh, end story of academic painting. Uh, academic painting starts getting really weird at like the end of the 19th century and then you get into symbolism. Mm -hmm. Mannerism kind of same. It's like this kind of high-minded, like, Madonna's yeah. just bizarre in these different ways. They start getting really contorted and weird. And and I guess that's right before, and, and my, my historian, brothers and sisters, are going to correct me, right before Protestant Reformation. Right. And then they needed a new art form evolving past mannerism, which mm -hmm. became Caravaggio and these Baroque people. And Totally. And I mean, and they make a parallel from the Protestant Reformation to the emergence of the avant-garde in the yeah. early 20th century. Yeah. Which kind of like quashed like academic painting from the 19th century. By academic painting. <laughs> is there academic painting today? Quick aside. I think there is. Yeah. I don't think it's what we really interact with very much in our art world industry. Mm -hmm. um, like would you see it in Art Basel, Miami? I example? don't think you would. So where would you see it? I. You asked the hard hitting questions here. I on don't Artspec. know because it's not my world. There are schools, even in New York, where people believe they are being trained in the techniques of masters. Mm. And then what happens to those artists and what they're doing, I have no idea. Mm. I really, I, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. I got another one for you. This is going to be interesting. The Mona Lisa. Oh. Uh, as a painting. As a painting. Yes. Overrated. Yeah. yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. I so why do you think it's captured the attentions of billions of people at this point that have seen that thing? Marketing. <laughs> right. Let's go with Malevich, Kazimir Malevich. The kind of artist where my buddies who I take to museums with will be like, oh, why is this important? Like, yeah. The kind of suprematism stuff. Yeah. I'm going to say properly rated. Okay. I feel like very solidly rooted in our canonical story of art history. Gets much, much respect from the museums. A lot. You know, isn't your everyday popular man on the street artist. Mm -hmm. So you think he's properly rated? I think properly rated. Maybe a little over. But <laughs> you know, it could be a thing where I'm also like, mm, but also there might have been a lot of other people doing that. Uh, there were a lot. Yeah. Lot that 19, 
not 20th century, yeah. early 20th century. Okay, you know, you're pushing me into the overrated. Now we're, now my, we're, little, my little meter is starting to go like, towards overrated. Here's one. Here's a good one for you. Oh, I wonder if this is spicy. I, I really care. Frida Kahlo. Oh. It's a painter. Oh. Paintings. Yeah. So I, we don't want to yeah. say like the person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, yeah, we're just course. going with the paintings, yeah. the objects. Um, Because she's a rock star now, right? Okay. I'm going to say properly rated. Okay. Yeah. Formerly totally underrated, then got real popular and people were excited about it. I would think you say that's she's one of, Would you say she's one of the, the most household named artists? Of, like if you were going to do like a top five, like I think she would be something that my grandma might have heard of, even though she had never had been interested in the arts. Frida Kahlo. She's kind of this iconic figure. I think so. I... And also, I'm from the Southwest. Mm -hmm. I feel like she was sort of really well-known and loved in those circles, like people who knew art from Mexico and Southwestern art. And she was a regionalist pop star. I mean, rock star, I guess, for a long time. You could say pop star. <laughs> pop star, rock star. <laughs> um, in fact, I think I remember, okay, like in 1997, I went to... The Art Institute of Chicago for a summer program. I think it was only two weeks. I graduated high school in 1997, and I started college that fall. And I remember getting into arguments with people about artists like Frida Kahlo. And, and Georgia O'Keeffe was another one. And they had this big Georgia O'Keeffe in the Art Institute Museum. And I remember, like, literally getting to a fight with someone about that it was important and good work. You were on the side of it's important yeah, to work. And yeah. the other person was on the it opposite was like, side. No, it's stupid. It's bad. Yeah, I went to bat for Georgia. And I feel vindicated now. <laughs> so Georgia underrated, we'd say? I think I still think underrated. Underrated. Yeah. I have two more for you. Jean Dubuffet. Oh. <laughs> I am gonna say overrated because that's an artist for whom I just kind of have like a blank spot. Like mm. I can't quite even describe the work to you but i know the name see that's embarrassing see now i have to admit like uh, i do not have encyclopedic knowledge of, <laughs> yeah i'm sort of like well, you know I, them all what anyway. does a like, buffet look like i don't remember and this last one this goes out to my friend nick caputo if he's listening which i hope he is because this is the artist he used to text me all the time and say what the fuck okay why is why is this like so why bad? just why mr Cy twombly Oh my God. <laughs> okay. Um, I am gonna go with overrated. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And I and I know that work isn't if you if you know my work, you're gonna go, well, it's not your wheelhouse. But I am from Texas mm -hmm. and there is a huge collection of Cy Twombly in the Menil collection in mm -hmm. Houston. And so Cy Twombly is one of the artists that I've actually seen the most and had a lot of experience looking at just from early, early life. Hmm. Some of the first museums I went to were works, were places that held a lot of those works. Yeah, I just think kind of overrated, I think. Also, again, like not alone in investigations of that kind of imagery. Yeah. There are some that I really enjoy, I would say. I've seen some works. Like there's Leda and the Swan. Um, there, there's just a couple of Saitwamis that really like, I actually think are really great paintings. I like love looking at them, and I think they're they have great merit. And then there are some the the more I guess you could say like the scribbly type, you know, yeah. kind of like. And I know that they are rich and deep. They may have been 
pushed by a certain Megan dealer throughout the 80s and 90s who really grew very close to him, not going to name names, that really pushed size work into the biggest collections. And, you know. Marketing's been around for a really long time. (laughs) A really long time. I mean, you know, Vermeer, excellent marketing. (laughs) All right, Emily. So, have you been keeping up with the climate protests and some of the stuff that's been done to paintings and museums? Um, I would say like a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm not obsessed with the stories, mm-hmm. but I've definitely, you know, I read them when they get reported. Yeah. Jerry and I talked about it on, I think, the first episode of Arts Mac. But I wanted to give a shout out to friend of the pod, Jerry Saltz. Okay. Jerry wrote a an article in Curbed where he gave his kind of climate protest take because Rumor is that, you know, up until now, the paintings that the climate protesters have targeted, they haven't received any traumatic real damage. It's always been behind glass. And these protesters have said so, that we we have no intention of breaking the actual canvases or ruining them. That's a change. There's some rumblings. There was a recent interview by one of them that said we would slash a painting or do something. They would escalate it. So I think it's, we do need to circle back to this. Jerry, I think astutely pointed out in the first episode that she saw this as its own meme, Mm -hmm. like a virus that would spread. Yes. People would see this, they would continue to do so. And I think not just limited to climate protests. I mean, what stops someone else who's agitated about a cause from using these really public images as the conduit for their protest? I just last month was talking to the director of a very big European museum and basically, he said, I am worried about copycats. Yeah. Um, the people that we've talked to doing climate protests are doing this very carefully. Um, you know, it's it's orchestrated like performance art. But what I'm worried about is someone else copying this. Mm-hmm. And his job is to protect and, you know, shepherd works in the museum. Mm-hmm. I think our Jerry Gogo's take on it being meme and i think it's performative i think it's performance art in a way uh it's i'm kind of always interested in in the text like in what they're saying the the words that they use when they glue the hand and then they say what if beauty is dying (laughs) yeah they're like i'm actually more interested in that the like words that they're using Jerry in his article, Jerry Saltz, not mm-hmm. Jerry Gagosian, he writes, uh, I just want to read you some of the excerpts because they are pretty funny. I mean, I think he has a, he does have humor in this. So it, he says, if protesters had soaked a Jeff Koons or a Damien Hirst with soup, crowds would have cheered. <laughs> if they had gone after art in biennials, it wouldn't have worked because the general public already sees most contemporary art as worthless and decadent. Mm-hmm. So he's talking about the selection right. of these paintings. He also says, I wouldn't be surprised to see the protesters included in the upcoming list of top 10 artworks of 2022. Yeah. So as a form of protest mm-hmm. art. Do you also see it that way? I mean, if you this, kind of made mention This that. is what Jerry Saltz does well mm-hmm. is, and I I have a lot of issues with, with things Jerry Saltz has done and written and said mm-hmm. in the past. What he does well is he basically kind of takes the temperature mm-hmm. and sort of reports it. Yeah. And like an armpit thermometer. It's not... <laughs> It's not not super accurate. Like the armpit thermometer is not really the most accurate way to get what's going on in your body. But it's like you're going to get a kind of general idea. Like it's better to take your temperature in the other two places. (laughs) 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 
<laughs> so I think in this, he's kind of like reporting all the ways in which people are thinking about these acts. Mm -hmm. He doesn't really seem to come down on like a hardcore opinion. No, he he, yeah. he kind of lists some it's rhetoricals. A, it's like journalistic in a way. Like, here's what everybody kind of thinks. Like, yeah. Like, would the effects have been different again if they had chosen contemporary artworks? He talks about the impact of these protests. Jerry mentions a suffragist named Mary Richardson who slashed the Velasquez mm -hmm. in the 20th century early on. And the most one of the most famous forms of vandalism was Tony Shafrazi's spray painting Picasso's Guernica as an anti-Vietnam protest. Now, right. did those things have a direct impact on the suffragist movement or, you know, protests around the Vietnam War? No, they were part of the chorus that was rising. They were they were a continuation of movements that were already taking place. Could this fall into that category? I either, you know. Yeah. We I think we 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 do not know. I mean, one of the things about art or actions is that we don't necessarily know what the effects are gonna be before we do them. Of course. So we have to do them to find right out. Write about it like we do. Like right. we know what's gonna happen. Like we yeah. have to do it to find out. When I went to Columbia for graduate school, um, in my admissions interview like where you're being interviewed and they're going to decide if you're going to get in or not i got into a fight with one of the professors I'm, apparently i'm getting into fights I mean, this all is your time. second time story um, about fighting you and could... one of the professors was you know i had a painting portfolio i was applying under the painting category and one of the professors was like why isn't your work political and what do you think paintings do you know and i was like I'm 24 and I really want to get to this graduate school. And it was it was really mean. And it was like, well, paintings are just totally worthless. And like, why are you even painting? And it was like, I don't what why do you fucking teach here? You know, and I I basically I was so young and I just said, you know, I'm here to find out. Like, I need to paint and I will paint and I will find out if they function that way or not. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to be able to tell you without doing it. Yeah. Actually, I think that's how I got in. It was something where I was like, you know, now with hindsight, I can say putting something into motion to then discover what the reverberations will be is better than acting with knowledge of what you think is going to be the end result. It's, right. it's like, I don't know. I think I look at it all as more of a bit of an experiment. Do you think young artists today, like, obviously you can't escape politics and people have their own passions and feelings about things. It's more like in the social media generation, the rage, there's constant feed of information coming to you, things you like, things you don't like. Do they feel this pressure to apply these things into their artwork? I... I mean, you, yeah. maybe not, but do you think that, like, the stream, like, how can you not be affected by some things around you know, women's rights or and the conversations around you know, LGBT issues, which is now hot, a hot topic with yeah. the Supreme Court. Like, I don't know. I, I just wonder, do people feel pressure? I I wonder too. And I, I wonder if I am almost out of touch with younger artists because I'm middle-aged. I haven't been doing very many visits, visiting critic gigs at universities, which I, I love doing. And mm -hmm. I, I have done a bunch of those. And I, I think I'll probably do more as people are doing that more now in the COVID scare is obviously still very present, but they're doing in-person things again. But so I, I don't know that I'm necessarily taking the temperature of what younger artists are doing. All I can kind of see is what what marketing is doing and what the industry is doing. Right. And 
the industry has decided that outrage is hot. I think that's accurate. And I think artists are actually the moral compass of the art world. All I can say for myself is that I, I want to act and create with intention. And I think you can see it. I think it's visible. And maybe it's not visible to everyone, but I'm an expert and I can see it. <laughs> and I can see what the intention is to be hot mm-hmm. and when the intention is deeply felt. You can spot the bullshit. I can. You can. I can. You can. Yeah. yeah. Jerry talks about this all the time. Yeah. Like, she sees, I mean, we called it fart the other, other yeah. episode, like fake art. She, yeah. can, she can spot it from a mile away when someone is purely kind of performatively creating artwork and pumping it out fast and there's really no intention to it. I think a lot of sort of deeply felt politics and issues are when they are deep, deep down and they are really like in something you are investigating in your work, you might not even have the right words for them or they might be coming out in forms that language hasn't quite latched onto yet. So it's important to not chase chase the wave that's like already gone by. Emily, you like the old masters, do you not? Uh, sure. I, I like who does I like paintings. You know, you like paintings. I like. I mean, I like. I like all kinds of art. I, I bring this up because I'd be remiss if I didn't briefly cover the story of how you and Jerry, Jerry Gagosian, we're no longer talking about Jerry Sauls, <laughs> but you and Jerry Gagosian first kind of spent some time together. So you had talked on the phone for a little bit in the DMs. You had exchanged some stuff. Yeah. But you guys met to go to the Met. Yeah, yeah, we had a date. She was saying a year, it, spoiler alert, Emily knows painting. Like you really understand the science and the chemistry and I, the history of I it. I try to, I yeah. think so, yeah. And Jerry was saying how you, you blew her mind by talking about the techniques that you had seen, like these oldish master, I say oldish because it wasn't, you know, Renaissance stuff. It was stuff from the 18th century, 17th century. Like, um, like Ong, yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah. yeah, that kind of stuff. You were able to really tell her what's going on and the evolution of it. So- you have a great admiration for old masters. I say this because I'm curious if, talking about future generations of artists, if they also have that reverence for old masters. I go and look at some of these paintings, and I I literally cannot figure out how they're painted, some of these. like, And, and you would say you, you're in the upper crust of expertise. Of, like, these... people who practice painting, yeah. who, like, try. Yeah. You know? Like, you understand, like, <laughs> like... It's, it's there's a real, real science and chemistry behind a lot of this stuff, Yeah. Too, so I think the there's, like, science and chemistry stuff that has been totally lost. Yeah. Like. It's like ancient aliens. Yeah. Like, <laughs> literally, like, lost knowledge. The pyramids. We don't yeah, know man. <laughs> you know, it's like some of those paintings are the pyramids. I just wish I, I had that knowledge, and I, I love trying to figure it out. Mm. But it's also shocking to think that, okay, like, the luckiest people in the world live to be 100 years. Uh-huh. 100 years is not long. No. So, like, we're all going to die in 100 years. And if we don't pass on this knowledge, it, like, goes with us. You know, it disappears. And so this is, I think, how bad ideas prolif- proliferate and, like, good ideas die. Is just, like, somebody with a little bit more power was able to pass on the information a little yep. bit longer. I mean, who knows what, what we'll forget in like hundreds of years, yeah. people will be like, the great steel sculpture, Jack Coons. <laughs> and they're going to have the story all wrong. They're going to be like, he like hand forged these by himself. And like, you know, it's like going to be so whack. Who knows? What do they say? History is written by the, the victors? Yeah. <laughs> or those with power and capital. What I will say is that I think my interest in, in 
older and older artworks has kind of coincided with me getting older. And it's, and it's, I don't think it's that I get more conservative or something or like I want more tradition. It's that I actually they start looking more and more alien to me. Like mm -hmm. I'm looking at paintings from like medieval paintings and I'm thinking, what were they thinking? This is crazy. This is the craziest painting I've ever seen. <laughs> also not being deeply stewed in like the Catholic myth. Some of the stories that are being told in the paintings, I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> this painting is rocking my world because it is crazy. And it's, you know, from the 1400s and it's six inches tall. And, you know, <laughs> so I get really into this stuff because I'm sort of falling in love with the mystery right. of it. So I wonder if when I was younger, what was more mysterious to me and then therefore more exciting and more compelling was contemporary uh, art and like the story of what's going on now. How do I, you know, how do I get in there? How do I make it? How do I matter? Like that was what was compelling. Right. And like maybe now I'm looking for I'm being compelled like differently. So it might be just what is compelling to someone like in the moment, like in their time. So, yeah, I think I think there'll be a cycle where an appreciation will grow. I do. And I do. I think it does come with experience and looking. And I also think that we have had this problem of not being able to go physically be with artworks yeah. for a long time through the pandemic and then exacerbated by like screen culture. So we've kind of forgotten that they're objects and that there's, you know, like like our bodies are not that evolves like we're just we're just still like the animals that like we were made to be and and like as animals things happen to us physically so like the light bouncing off that painting through all of its layers back into my eyeballs is like totally extraordinary to me like as a physical thing that is happening you don't, you don't get that from swiping on your I don't iPad get that from swiping. When you're, when no, you're in your iPad no, laying no, in bed. No. I, and I, so like that is part of what I would say is almost the quasi spiritual experience of being with artworks is it's actually bodily. Particularly with like an old master's yeah. fucking artwork. Yeah. Like, like it's bodily. Like, like it's I insane. feel it go through me like electricity. Yeah. From the collector side, the old master's category had seen a decline in its interest. Would, do we include? Like school of Rembrandt, it's not Rembrandt himself. It's other people from the studio or other artists of the same time. Or like I was saying, like there's actually 30 other Vermeers out there. Yeah, I would say looking at the the way that the auctions would go is like the superstars would sell for a lot of money. Yeah, and then there would be this. You can't call them second class, but these second tier, the ones that are not the household names. Right, the school of or the, the school of, yeah, where you could. I mean, these paintings were cheaper than what you could find in a blue chip gallery in New York or at Art Basel. In the okay. And I always thought like, wow, like if I ever got a lot of money, I might want to try to buy some of these. So I heard rumors about this well, that and and because I, I I wasn't really watching auction stuff back mm -hmm. then, but some art dealers that I know would tell me, oh, I buy old masters at auction, like very smart mm -hmm. people who really like art and know what's up. So for the love of it or for like a financial thing. For, because they could. And I think it's for love because it was like, I can get a 17th century painting that is awesome for cheap. For what primary artwork and emergent artwork would go for. 
Yeah. And my understanding was that there was, you know, there's old school diehard old masters collectors that stayed in the market and loved it. And they had been collecting for decades, but that young people, new money was not interested. Interesting. That, and that was kind of the rub. And I remember it wasn't Christie's, but Sotheby's partnered with like High Snobiety or one of those websites to make like hoodies and t-shirts with old masters paintings oh on them. <laughs> I'm not sure it'd stick. So I, I don't I, know if that's the way to do it. Yeah. But it, all I'm saying is that that was from the collector's side. My generation, the ones who collect, are so hyper-focused on contemporary that old masters, like this could be like in a death spiral kind of thing. Mm. Where there won't be any buyers for this stuff at the end. Huh. I don't know what happens to them. Hopefully they just go to museums. I mean, right. but museums are oftentimes, you know what they're doing? They're buying contemporary artworks. Interesting. It's like, yeah. where the, where's the space for these old masters, these objects? Are they going to get stored away for forever? We're going to lose some. I don't uh, know. Matt, let's set aside some money. Yeah, let's get, get some uh, masters. <laughs> we'll start a little business <laughs> buying old little. masters paintings. <laughs> like artworks are like all sort of boats put out to sea mm -hmm. and like to be retrieved on the other side of time. And we're worried that like old masters are in leaky boats and that yeah. they're going to sink. <laughs> or they're getting branded as like, like, I used to see this all the time. People would come like, I got a, I have a, I have Michelangelo in my Los Angeles home. I'm like, what? What? Like, no, they don't. It's BS. It's a fake. It's a fraud. And like, there's a lot of that that goes on in the old masters too. Oh. Things gives the market a bad vibe with it. Like, oh. the trustworthiness of whether these things are authentic is a right. huge issue. Right, right, right. Which is why you need institutions. Like, there's a lot of issues with big auction houses and big dealers, but they they do, especially the good ones, they do understand what these objects are and they do their homework. Right. They really figure out. For the most part, you know, there's always or Monday, whatever. But like, <laughs> for the most part, they do their, they, these yeah. are experts in this yeah. stuff. And they find out whether this painting is good and they trace its history and establish the provenance. Yeah. And then you can feel comfortable buying it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's important. I mean, I yeah. think that's why, like, you know, that's, that's academic training. Mm -hmm. We were talking about off, off mic having a passion for reading about conservation. Yeah, yeah. And there is a reason for rigor, like in all areas, you know, as we see this kind of, hyper-financialized art world, we are losing some sense of rigor maybe, you know? Yeah. So what advice, oh, actually, I, I'd like to just give the advice. Buy old masters, people. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> if you're one of these guys and you're flying around Basel and you're spending X on these contemporary paintings, do like a 10 for you, one for us kind of move, right? For every 10 contemporary paintings you buy, go buy some old master's paintings and display them and keep the tradition going. Hang them together. I think that that's really cool. Awesome. That's a good look. I mean, I'm trying to do that inside of my own paintings. <laughs> so big news story in the art world this week. The legend himself, Gerhard Richter, has left his gallery. Marion Goodman, after 40 years to join David's Warner. This follows a string of high-profile departures recent times, like Pat Steer from Levy Gorvey to Hauser, Matthew Day Jackson from Hauser to Pace, Simone Lee, which is probably the most high-profile recent one, from Hauser to Matthew Marks, and Jeff Koons, who was joint represented by Gagosian and Zwerner, has now consolidated at Pace. So the musical chairs of Blue Chip Artists continues to move. And Gerhard Richter, who at the ripe age of 90, has left Marion Goodman to join uh, his fellow countryman, David Zwerner. Hey, Richter said, choose. <laughs> So I guess my question for you, Emily, as an artist, um, it's interesting. I mean, he's 90 years old. Yeah. And 
leaving a gallery, I, I want to ask you, what do you think some of the drivers are for someone to make that kind of decision? To me, like the gallery is your business partner. It's not your daddy. It's not your boss. Right. It's not, you need to have alignment in your goals and in your belief for the other half to carry their weight and do their job. And I wonder, I mean, I'm totally speculating. I'm just wondering, he's very old. There's mm -hmm. got to be a foundation. There's going to be, I know there's heirs. I imagine they're setting everything up to continue past his life. And so I guess you've got to be thinking like, my business partner needs to have a global network and be able to manage things operating at these millions and millions and millions yeah. of dollar level. I don't know what Marion Goodman's plan is for when Marion Goodman is gone. Marion Goodman is not young either, <laughs> you know? So that's, to me, would be a concern. Yeah. I mean, actually, I had a concern a few years ago when I was moving some galleries and I thought, well, I don't know what that person's plan is past themselves. And I was like, I actually need to know that. Like that's not a young art dealer. Yeah. What are what are they gonna do? Who's gonna inherit their gallery? What's the vision yeah. gonna be for the next thirty years? That's just absolutely right. I think we don't know like you said, we don't know Goodman's plans. We won't speculate about the future, but we know that this Warner industrial complex will continue to go on. Right. I mean he's relatively young still. Right. Swerner has deep experience in managing artists' estates, which mm -hmm. I think is, like you mentioned, I think that was the real catalyst behind this at 90 years old. It wasn't to like sell more paintings. Yeah. You know? Like to have a show in this city he's never had before. The guy's yeah. done it all. Yeah. I think it's really about legacy planning. It's legacy planning, I think. Yeah. yeah. And one of the questions I have, which I think we just answered, is like, does this signal anything about gallery health in that sort of like mid-tier, and then Goodman's not mid-tier, but you know, not outside the right. big four. You know, blue chip. Blue chip. Um, Yeah, what do we call this? It's like blue chip. Jerry calls it mega minus. That's okay. her like mega mega tier are the big four, and then like mega minus is like, would be like a Goodman, okay. some other the bigger names that okay. are international and huge yeah. and established, but just not at that, like. Aren't operating as corporations in that degree God. of they really are like franchises yeah. like almost they're not franchised out in that way i'll just tell you looking at like guys like pace i mean right. that thing is run like a like a s p 500 company mm -hmm. more mm -hmm. or less i mm -hmm. mean they have kind of strategic like banking type people working for them now they mm -hmm. obviously have like a tech initiative with pace Verso, it's called okay. whatever their metaverse thing whoa they have their own pr teams like hr which actually take it for granted a lot of gallerists don't have any of that stuff right. they have principals and they have sellers and they have admin and maybe some operations they don't have pr agencies like like these companies do wow i feel like what i like and it's it's just simple it's just deep deep down with my gallerists that i yeah. work with that they must love my work and like <laughs> hope so. be um you know and be sort of willing to advocate for it um in a way that is beyond finance. They also just must love art. And it, and to me, it's like, please love art the most. Like, <laughs> it's a competition. Love, yeah, like, do you love... A lot of people love money more than art, okay? But I love art. And so I want my business partner to also love art. There is an artist I visited recently who started working with this specific dealer. I don't think he's known for his love of their love of art. Like, mm -hmm. I think it's very much kind of in the flashy, salesy type world. Okay. And this artist was like, 
God, he came in there and he just, she was considering working with this guy and he Mm -hmm. came in and looked at the paintings and within a week had sold most of them, Mm -hmm. like had cleared out stuff that was old. And that, for that artist, ingratiated her to him. Sure. Where it was like, it didn't matter about his love of the art. He barely even commented on it. He just basically was able to sell these things that were old that had been sitting there for a while instantly. Right. And now when I talk to this artist, um, loyal as can be. Like that was the driving thing for her is the fact that sales took place. Yeah. Well, that's. I can empathize with that though. That's also, I mean, we must survive living in New York City as an artist. It it is so expensive. Money is a real thing. Mm -hmm. Is a real thing. If if you didn't come into this world with it handed to you, how are you going to keep going? And so we must consider. Right, we can't. I couldn't fault the artist for telling me that because it yeah. was like I get it. You you got to eat. You got to pay your rent. I totally appreciate that. It's okay. You demonstrated. You are able to do. What is your job? Why you take fifty freaking percent? Mm-hmm. You know, I am in my at this point privileged position to say. The, the sales are rather inevitable at this moment. So what else is there? That's where I'm like, well, right. the love and the alignment and the like kind of, um, right. you know, higher goals come into play. But like you said, if it's it's more than just a broker. They're not just your broker, right? Yeah. They're the stewards of this, of these things, these objects that you're creating in the world. And that matters. Well, okay. What are galleries for? We have auction houses now that are totally happy to just go straight to artists and sell. There's auction houses doing that as an initiative now. There's a whole new branch that's going there. I mean, there is an interesting conundrum of like, well, like, you know, artists can just go, okay, I'm going to go sell my work at Sotheby's and they're going to give me 50% because Mm -hmm. like they're actually doing this now. They'll give you more than 50%. More, you know, so, so what's the point? And to me... It, that's a really good question. And I think like, yeah, we have to ask ourselves, why Why are we doing these things? Is it just tradition? And to me, the point of a gallery to me is community, actually, because I haven't had experiences with auction houses where they demonstrate that they deeply care about my work in a sense that's spiritual. You haven't? Really? <laughs> in a sense that's like spiritual wow, or based surprised. in anything other than financial <laughs> transactions, right? So I put more than that in my work. That's why I want to see it live in a space that like honors that. And working with the gallery is a way to see your artwork adjacent to other artists that you respect, that you want to feel compared to or like seen in the universe of, you might lose that if you just let the artwork go into like a purely financialized system yeah. that's going to sort your work in a way that's different, yeah. you know? So so you end up in these like rankings that aren't oriented around aesthetics or ideals or like any of the stuff that ostensibly the artist is pouring into their work. Yeah. Then I think Jerry and I in the future will deep dive on this topic, but Look, there's a there's a third way that's forming, which is like this agent advisor type thing that right. some artists are opting into. Right. So I'm still wrapping my head around whether this advisor agent, which kind of mirrors like Hollywood in a way. Totally. Where it's these, it's not a gallery. Mm-hmm. It's not purely selling your artwork, but perhaps it's also managing a little bit of your career. Mm-hmm. It's helping you get partnerships with, cities and communities to do installations i've seen Mm -hmm. or even like 
do like a Gucci ad. Like a lot of this agency types is helping artists get these opportunities outside of their creative practice. Mm -hmm. They'll help the artist broker gallery consignment shows. So they'll just be like your negotiator with the gallery, et cetera. So this new model of agents, I, I'm still wrangling my head around it. Have you heard of this or seen I this? I think I've heard of it a little bit. And I remember back before the 2008 recession, there was inklings of people starting really? to do this. Oh yeah, I'm old. But it was like, <laughs> I was like, that's what's funny is if you stick around long enough, the stuff is cyclical. It cycles uh -huh. back, it's huh? so, it's Like this was an idea that was out there in the early aughts. Why do you think it didn't, didn't take off? Because the economy crashed. So it was an economic, mm -hmm. well, funny parallel. Uh, 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 well, uh, here we go, ratcheting up, like <laughs> repeating patterns. Yeah, it is totally like Hollywood model. Yeah. And You're I get, agent. Yeah. Where, where it falls for me is it's still so much about branding and like for, for lack of, for ease, we are often talking about artist works by just saying their names. And we're talking about the artwork by talking just with the person's name. But to me, it's actually not about me. I don't want it to be like Emily May Smith, the brand. I don't like that. I don't, I don't want that. I don't even believe in that because I want it to be about the work. And like my name is the person that makes the work, mm -hmm. but I think some people really do want to be a brand and they want to be yes. a celebrity and they want to be like their name is known and their face is known. I want that for my paintings. Right. But I think a lot of artists, especially younger ones now, are, it's it's me incorporated. It's like, you know, they, they want to be, yeah. art is this thing that this creative person does and they are the brand. Ugh. And even it shows sometimes in their work. Too. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, okay. Hit on something Guess what? It, you get old. Yeah. <laughs> you, can, you can do okay. We have plastic surgery and whatever, but like <laughs> you get old and then people don't want your face and your name and your brand anymore. But and you, like, but like you said, the work lasts. Yeah, the work lasts. Like, again, this vessel will die. So, Emily. Jerry Gagosian herself has released a latest edition of the Jerry Report. So for those who are looking for Jerry and I's takes on Art Basel, please head over to gagosian.com and check out the report that is out now. And one of the things that Jerry posits in her report is the idea of an upcoming recession in the art world and sure. whether we saw the inklings of it at Basel. My question for you is, how can an artist navigate this? And are there lessons from the past we can learn? So you left your MFA program, Columbia, mm -hmm. in 2006. Yes. What an interesting time to yes. start creating paintings and look for a career in commercial Walked right into a recession that was hot in 2008. Right. We don't know the extent of an upcoming recession, but the likelihood of one occurring and it affecting markets mm -hmm. like the art market, it's pretty high. I mean, I would imagine there will be ripple effects heading downstream. So what do you say? What are some things that artists should be thinking about as we turn into maybe a dark period in the art market? Yeah, I'm trying to approach all of this with basically curiosity. Like, yeah. here I am living right now. Let's see what happens. I'm here for the ride. The 2008 was a very, very difficult ride. Yeah. It was, for me, like devastating and incredibly hard. Artists that were my friends who were already performing well in the marketplace, for, for lack of a more elegant way mm -hmm. to talk about it, they were selling work. But the people I'm thinking of, you see, they, they also had parachutes. They had families who owned homes in right. New York that they could live in. They had 
all kinds of protections around them that they didn't feel it very badly. And they had some established markets and they could live rent free if they yeah. wanted to. That was not the case for me. And I had shown work and had sold work, but wasn't actively represented by anybody or actively having solo shows. It was much, mostly much more group shows with my friends and being engaged in community, basically. The opportunities to put my work out in the world in a bigger way dried up like so fucking hard in 2008. It was like, it was like people were kind of interested, poking uh, around. 2008 happened. No more studio fucking, visits until 2014. Bear Stearns and <laughs> like, Lehman Brothers. It was just evaporated. And there were not a lot of small galleries back then. It was mostly like big galleries in Chelsea and a few smaller galleries, but there wasn't even a Lower East Side gallery scene back then. Yeah. Okay. So it's like much bigger now. There's a lot more actors. There's a lot more places. There's so I, I don't know how much the contraction will be. And then during that time, like during the 2008 recession that lasted all the way to like 13, that's actually when all those little galleries in the Lower East Side opened up. Yeah. So like a whole new scene was created. Yeah. So there is an opportunity for creation inside the destruction. Yeah. There's some hope, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I think artists should be fearful. Obviously, like when things are tough, you don't want to be, you, you want to have a realistic perspective. You want to be careful, I guess, who you work with, mm -hmm. I'd imagine. Okay, so like if someone owes you a lot of money right now, get it. Collect up. Now, before January 2023. Emily, guys, Emily has volunteered to be your uh, <laughs> your muscle. If you ever got to go and interact with the collector, Emily will show up. Baseball bat in hand. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's it's true. It's like, Settle okay, accounts, I would yeah, say. Settle yeah, settle accounts. Yeah. Take stock of your own spending. Do you think an artist... If, if they have an opportunity to sell something at a discount now, that they should think about that, even if it's like 20, 30% off of what they would normally sell a work for, something to consider now? It's always something to consider, I would say, maybe not in relationship to larger global economic forces, but within your own marketplace. Yeah. Like you kind of know if people are willing to, what people are willing to spend right. on the work. And artists got to survive. So, um, and this, this, um, art industry is basically built on being like predators on artists. Mm. Like artists have like no protections, mm. no advocacy. I, I don't want to scare people, but you know, there are lots and lots of careers that were super hot people that were in their twenties that were just like, selling like hotcakes and the biggest, the biggest thing you ever heard of in 2006. And you don't even know who they are now. That's so true. People forget so many, like. Jerry and I always talk about uh -huh. this. Artists, when she was in art school, when she was, I was not in the art world at that time, so I actually didn't know the names, but she knew these names 2011, 12, mm -hmm. 13. And she's like, Matt, you wouldn't even recognize them if I told you. Right. And these were the people that were selling at auction at big prices and were right. at art Basel booths that were completely sold out and getting the big blue chip shows. It's like but what I hope for them, them is that, that they're continuing to do whatever right. is good they're in their life, joy. Right. finding joy, whatever. I'm just saying as our industry, uh, our industry didn't give a shit. Didn't give a shit. They moved on quick to <laughs> they, the next one. Yep. I think, I don't know, but I, th I think there's a lot of artists today, I mean, the majority of them, especially the ones in their 20s, have not experienced a downturn in the art market. Right. They've only ever known the boom times. And I equate this, there's very funny people like on Twitter in, in the venture capital community. Mm-hmm. 
that, you know, from 2018, 2019, 2021, most of 22, it started to fade there. But these VC guys, like it was, it was boom time. Mm-hmm. It was like, you want money? You, you have the name blockchain in your pitch deck? We'll throw a check at you. Or you're doing AI automation? Let's go. Oh, you did another round after we already funded you and your valuation went up by 100x. Oh my God, we're, we're so rich on paper. It was easy. Yep. I'm sorry, VC guys. It was a very easy time to be a VC investor. Yeah. You could just throw money around and valuations kept rising. Because it was easy to borrow money. It was so cheap. A lot of these guys have never seen a downturn. They have no idea what the hell to do. Right. They don't know how to really crunch numbers, do due diligence, find great businesses, expect that founder not just to grow at all costs, but to grow profitably and smartly, and maybe make a firing or two or not hire those individuals, learning the hard way. And I don't mean to, it's not the same exact thing for the artist market, but I think a lot of artists today, they've only known boom times. So like a lot of people now, do you think come out of grad school and just expect to start showing and selling like really fast. Yeah, like I it's do. like a lot of people don't even go to grad school anymore, I right? Do. So and they think um that what I mean, they've created God bless it. I yeah. love that for you. It's not normal. Yeah. And I I I hope it's given you the ability to support yourselves and get yourself in a really good situation. But like bad times come. So the way you survive this downturn is going to be very defining for actually like who you are as an yeah. artist because when you come out on the other side what are you doing? Like, I think some artists, they lean on what they've done, the work, the painting, the style, the, the motifs, everything that they've done in the past. They lean on it and they, they feel kind of safe because they know it sells and know it sells. But in a changing environment, that might not be the case. Yeah, You I mean, might go out of fashion. People are going to look at it as a luxury or that we've seen it before. People who don't adapt could fall into kind of darker times. So- yeah, it's it's I worry about that. It's funny cuz I I you know, like my aesthetic of my work, whatever whatever you might call it, is actually forged in the fire of having survived yeah. that recession. Came through it. And what's funny is parts of it that have been picked up on, repeated and like kind of, you know, it's around yeah. now. Don't know that. And it's just kind of like a fashion thing. Yeah. But, you know, I would say also like approach this with curiosity. And it's a part of life um, to watch these, you know, watch the economy <laughs> collapse. Yeah, it booms and, and busts. This is what happens. And this is also what happens with our, like, extremely flawed system. Right. You know, like, our system is built to have collapses. Right. Our capitalist system literally is built to have collapses. And it hurts everybody who's not at the, the top. The Fed is literally trying to collapse the economy. Literally. Intentionally, people. Like, Like it's controversial, but it's what they've done. It's what they are doing. So they're trying to pull liquidity out of the system, meaning less liquidity for people to spend on luxury items like paintings. It is, it is inevitable. Right. But I think Emily and I just want you to be prepared for it. And we want you to ride this out and find some joy in a potentially dark time. So I don't know if you have any wrap up. Yeah. I think it kind of comes back to the core of like, why are you an artist? Mm-hmm. You know, like I created through that whole thing. Right. It didn't matter that nobody was looking at my work. I mean, yes, it mattered. It hurt. It was like painful, but it didn't change the fact that like, I still wanted to paint right. and like I still made paintings. It can be the time where you um, sort of are sitting in the background, sharpening your knives, practicing your skills, like honing the deep reason why you're doing this activity with your life. 
your yeah. short, your very short life on this planet. Some great, some great things can come out of like the darkest times. Yeah, I think that that's evidence has been born. Yeah, I think it's it's not controversial to say that figuration has been the dominant form of painting for the last six to eight years. I yeah, would how say. was this? Like, let's define it. Let's yeah. yeah. Well, when when was it not right? So was like, it fourteen, mm, thirteen? I would say like zombie formalism. Thir- Twelve, thirteen is when. That stuff was kind of... That was the cutting edge stuff. Yeah. There was kind of a... It was... Messy abstraction was the super big trend in 2012. And I would say also 2013 and 14. But that's also when, like, I had my first show Uh and I did the totally opposite type thing. And I think people were like, whoa, that's not what we're used to seeing. I can't tell you how many people I've heard that, that were in art schools in that early period, 2010 to 2014. <clears throat> Excuse me. Where, if you were a figurative painter, you were like laughed at. To the yeah. Point where yeah. like people were really not interested in that in academics and as artists, it was not the cool thing. Right. Like Jerry studied conceptual art during that time. Yes. And that was the cutting edge. That was new, the new cool media, yeah. new genres, like this kind of movement. But somehow, some way, there's many theories as to why it became this thing. Whether it was like Trump. Yeah, I've heard that the Trump thing literally led to it. Social media, of course, I think, which is the to me the the more likely candidate mm-hmm. that those images just became seared in our brain and easier to understand mm-hmm. on our screens, and thus we became used to it and we wanted to collect it. So I'm just curious, from your perspective, where do you see painting going? Do you think this is figuration will continue to be the dominant trend? I think among young artists, emerging art. I think we we need to be definitely talking about ideas Mm -hmm. and um i think we tend to call idea-based art conceptual art Mm -hmm. i think all real art is conceptual so (laughs) there's that (laughs) but um and i also think like all paintings are abstract and all paintings are figurative but anyway um like this is for this is for like dummies like me we just need to to bucket things (laughs) into their own forms I will will into existence by speaking it (laughs) that i would love to see people think talking about painting conceptually, right. like see conceptual painting. Yeah. I think like we're going to address the object, like the objecthood will become significant and important again because we're tired of the picture and we're tired of talking about it just as pictures. I am tired of talking about it just as pictures. Like yeah. I don't, they're not that. They're not pictures. They're paintings. They're, you know, so to me that's a direction. I, I'm going to go visit a graduate school soon and see what everybody's doing yeah let me know because i'm curious because uh-huh. that's usually an indicative uh-huh yeah yeah like what's happening one of those more popular yeah. kind of higher end schools i'm just curious like what everybody's into sometimes in that case people are into trying to fit in and then you've got also people that are just like off in their own tangent doing their own weirdo stuff and then people that are kind of like gonna trailblaze you know yeah. so definitely things will change Definitely things will change. Things will not stay this way. If merging contemporary art is reflective of our times or is speaking to it, it's very hard to continue to depict and reflect our times currently figuratively. This is what, this has been like a take that, that Jerry's had and I've had that with all that is happening, I don't mean to sound like a doomsday person because there are some good stuff happening in the world. It's very hard to, to that to be reflected in just an image of something figurative mm-hmm. where it's complex, it's deep, it's rich, and perhaps abstract is the way to capture some of this stuff. 
Like if you consider what we just went through, like a World War II moment, massive casualties across the world. Yeah. Instability, political instability, you know, a yeah. war that's very frightening. And giant geopolitical Ch- China, shifts. China, like just, yeah. just huge shifts. The movement that came from then was Pollock and the guys in New York creating. So now is there a way of reflecting some of the stuff? We just dropped a, a goddamn nuclear bomb on someone. Mm-hmm. It's it an interesting time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right, you can go back to World War One, right? I mean, World War One. Jesus, so many of our favorite artists, I think it's underrated, went to war mm-hmm. during World War One and mm-hmm. died and perished. But the artists that didn't or the artists that survived, their style of painting dramatically changed. Mm-hmm. It was the isms like the Fauves, the Cubists, this expressionism movement, and then it flipped pretty hard. We started moving towards abstract, mm-hmm. which, which grew from these movements. So I think traumatic events in the world can lead to a change in the dominant style of art and what artists want to be creating. And I wonder if we're at that inflection point. It's, it's I, I suspect we are at some yeah. inflection point with the coming economic downturn. Yeah. To say it in a positive light, I think one of the things that's been a project of the past eight years has been to crack open how we represent our subjectivities to the world. Mm-hmm. And that we realize we have a whole lot of people who are living experiences that are not reflected in our institutions that are showing us what they call important art. So, you know art by people of color, art by women, right? So we've had, this is why this has been really important for the past several years. And that's why it's been a big deal. The means by which artists are are expressing themselves, whether it's representationally or abstractly, I think just is open. I think that's where that's where like the finance world comes in and starts trying to say <laughs> that they're in control of like the dominant aesthetic. So we will see. We will see. We are at a change point. I wonder, let me reflect for a minute back to, you know, when we when we were in the last big recession, one of the reasons I think people were very interested in, and I'm being very glib, messy abstract painting, was that it was fast and easy and cheap to do. And so you could afford to do it during a recession and you could then you could sell it and like you could make a lot of them. You could make a <laughs> lot, a lot, a lot of them. You could make like hundreds of paintings a year if you did it that way. OK, so in a way, it's like also a response to the economy. Yeah. And then I think of the larger um, secondary market, you saw record breaking prices for like ABEX and historically important work of that ilk. So then that was kind of like driving a trend down in like the lower yeah, yeah. section, too. I don't know. So so in a way, the economic forces might might kind of create an aesthetic. Another level to this aesthetic is debt because you have more and more people going to art school, paying tons and tons of money to do it, and you come out and you you're you got to make money, you know? You've got to. And so some of these aesthetics are driven by people's just need to survive and like mm-hmm. get some stuff done, yeah. get some stuff made, sell painting, sell painting yeah. fit in. And so um, can't knock them for that, right? No, so interesting to think about. There's like these drivers mm-hmm. that aren't even necessarily conscious in what's kind of forming the zeitgeist. Where will we go? <laughs> no one knows. All right, guys, what do you say, Emily? That about does it for this week. Oh, I can't believe it's over. Uh, no. Well, you were amazing. I want to thank 
Emily Mae Smith for co-hosting Art Smack this week. Jerry will be back soon, guys. It's plug time, as we always do. Do you have anything to plug? Anything coming up? Oh, well, I have a book. You have a book? I have a book. Tell me all about it. Uh, it's a monograph. It's a book of my work that uh -huh. basically covers from about 2014 to 2021. And we worked really, really hard on it. And I'm really proud of it. And I'm also really grateful to the incredible writers who contributed really thoughtful, like, deep mm -hmm. essays. And there's delightful pictures. <laughs> um, so if you would like to get my book... You can get it from the Petzl Gallery Bookstore or anywhere where books are sold because it's being distributed by Simon & Schuster. So you can get it in all the usual book places. Amazing. So we'll link it in the description for Emily's book, A Chance to Buy It Online. Um, on my end, the only thing, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, guys, is Jerry's has released her Art Basel Miami 2022 report. Uh, for premium subscribers, it's available at gagosian.com. So go and check that out. Otherwise, I think that's it. Thank you so much for having me. I've really had so much fun. I think I could do this all day. Also, like, I'm a big loudmouth, so I just want to, like, blah, blah, tell you everything I it, think. It was my pleasure. I can't thank you enough. <laughs> Jerry will be back soon, guys, and see you later. Bye.